It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right now. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star. As always, I am one of your hosts, David. And on the other line, I got from Memphis, my good buddy, Chris Craig. Chris, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, David? I'm good. Today is a good day. So like we normally do whenever we have a guest on, I always throw it to Chris and let him uh, introduce the guest. So Chris, go for it. Yeah, man. My pleasure. So David, you know, I'm excited about this one. Um, been a fan of this guy for a long time now. I, I would say he's one of my favorite artists of the last 10 years. And in my opinion, I think he's one of the most gifted singer songwriters out there right now. Uh, his music continues to evolve. Um, and it evolves in a good way. You know, sometimes that evolve word kind of scares us away as fans. But uh, I love what he does. I think there's just a certain beauty, depth, and emotion to his music. Uh, fortunately, uh, other people are starting to take notice. And this guy's got a buzz around him. He's got a new album came out a couple of months ago called Blood Harmony. Easily one of the best albums of the year for me. Uh, talking about the great Dave Hawes. Dave, welcome. Thank you for coming on. Hey, Chris, thanks, man, for having me. David, thanks for having me. And thanks for that lovely um, introduction. I mean, I, I hope my wife hears this. <laughs> <laughs> you can send us a thank you later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Dave. So one of the things we like to do whenever we have some t- somebody on for the first time is just real quick. How did you get into music and kind of what was your first, I don't know, love of music? Like who was your first favorite band or artist, you know, that really kind of got you put the hook in your mouth for the rest of your life i don't remember a time when music wasn't part of my life my my parents were big fans they they were sort of at the crossroads between like the post hippie movement and that rock and roll explosion and evangelical christianity there's a weird time where that was like a thing um and, and it was the, you know, early 70s. They were graduating high school then. So by the time I showed up on the scene in 78, I was my parents' first kid. They had equal parts, Bob Dylan and um, Beatles and Stones and all that stuff. But then also in, my, in the 80s, they started to get into like contemporary Christian music. So I had this very strange message that was transmitted to me where there was all this... Um, evangelical christianity but also the you know there were enough kernels of rock and roll around that i could follow so my dad would buy the dire straight shirt and 
born in the USA and Tom Petty and, and Brian Adams and stuff like that. And so I was exposed to all that stuff. But the first band that really did it for me was a local band in Philadelphia that had really captured the, the region. Um, and they went on to sell a lot of records, I guess. The Hooters were a pop rock band and, and made a bunch of radio hits um, and were local. So it seemed like, oh, wow, these are these are Philadelphians. And I guess as a young kid, I, I mean, it was the sound that did it. But um, I must have on some level thought, oh, these are local people doing this dream thing that I've only kind of seen in this outsized way. Um, and so that was the first one. I remember that. I remember buying, I think I bought the Brian Adams Reckless record around the same time. And I bought the self-titled Heart record um, when they were doing a lot of work with like outside songwriters to kind of, you know, meet the middle 80s moment. They put, and, the, uh, they put the sheen, the 80 sheen on their, on their stuff. Yeah. So like in retrospect, I can kind of see it through that lens. But at the time I just thought, wow, these are great songs. And, you know, these women can sing so well. And, and, and Nancy Wilson is such a cool guitar player. So like, I just was, I was taken with those three records around the same time. And then it just was kind of a deluge, you know, I was so into music, you know, we had the thriller record at, at home and the Christopher cross record. I remember those two as being, um, you know, in, in the mix, but, um, yeah, from there, it just sort of became, I got into harder and harder music, I think, as a reaction to the sort of evangelical press that was coming down from being in Christian school and in church all the time and stuff like that. So I got, you know, it was like gradual, it went from Brian Adams to like Aerosmith and, and you know, then it was Iron Maiden and Metallica. And then naturally I got, I got into punk right as right before the grunge thing happened. So I was a little familiar at least with the sound, you know, like um, Misfits and The Clash, I kind of discovered before Pearl Jam and Nirvana broke, um, but right before. And then they, they just sort of all seemed like the same kind of thing. And then, I, you know, at that point, I was just full teenage sex, drugs and rock and roll, um, you know, which kind of brings us sort of into into uh, you know starting bands and things of that nature and i was in hardcore punk for years but ultimately the seeds of songwriting for me were, were in the in those early formative childhood days you know what i was being exposed to as a little boy yeah you know um and I, you mentioned hardcore your beginnings in hardcore so what what was it that initially drew you in and what was the scene like in Philadelphia for hardcore? You know, that's not one that we always we know about New York City. We know about the the, the legendaries, the, the godfathers, I guess you'd say, the agnostic fronts, the pro-mags, you know, crumb suckers, all those. But what was the scene like in Philly? The scene in Philly when I was getting involved was it was the mid it was the early to mid-90s. So Philly was just like a good market for a lot of those bands to play. We didn't have a lot of our own bands um, until, you know, we had a little scene. There were bands like Rain on the Parade or, and then ultimately Kid Dynamite came along um, and really shook the Philadelphia scene up. Um, Ink and Dagger was one, but, but ultimately it was, it was a violent scene. There was a lot of fighting. It was a clash, I think, ultimately between the culture of the suburban punks who were probably being, um, who are probably finding it through MTV and 
the offspring and green day or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. And then there were like city kids who um, had a much different outlook and that clash led to lots of violence in Philly and not a lot of creative um, exports. There weren't many bands that of note that were like taking the music ser seriously. It was more of like, we go to shows, there's fights, there's drama, there's, you know, and that all that was blossoming along with like alternative youth culture, I guess, for lack of a better term, through through the 90s and into er the early 2000s. So um, for me, the, the draw, I think, was barrier of entry. You know, there was no barrier of entry. If you could play a, in time and fairly in tune, your band could probably get a show. And it just seemed like... Um, we, me and my friends weren't great at playing music in like the, um, you know, the, the technical sense, but we had spirit. And so rather than spend all this time getting good at guitar or getting good at drums or, or like we were passable, but we wanted to play shows and be heard. And so we put all of our energy into that. It was like, let's make highly energetic music. Um, and go play shows and that's fun and it builds little community and you get to know people especially in your teens and early 20s and i think that's what mostly drew me to it i mean there was obviously like a lot of anger and release of anger in that music but um that was what drew me in and then actually that a lot of those same things repelled me um and kept me moving away from it well since you're a philly guy <clears throat> you're talking about a scene in philly I got to ask you about one of my all-time favorite bands, The War on Drugs. Uh, are you are you friends with Adam and those guys, or or had you moved uh, on no, before they got going? I'm not friends with them. I I know a few of the members. Of, I'm really close with their tour manager and their sound guy. And so I was in town for my brother's bachelor party, and they were rehearsing. They had this like whole big building in South Philly, or at least they did then. And they invited me to come down and check out their rehearsal. And Adam was very gracious. Like I've run into Adam a couple of times. I think we both opened for the hold steady at one point. And so the hold steady was back in town and we all ended up at a bar. He was always like a sweet guy and very, um, you know, very gracious. He was very gracious when we visited his practice. I couldn't believe we were allowed to go because I wouldn't have anybody at our practice, <laughs> but um, you know, the, that's a thing that happened. I guess that was happening back when the loved ones were together and I was in Philly, but they really blossomed in the last 10 or so years. And mostly I was touring or living in California then. So our paths cross through mutual, um, mutual friends, but I do like the foreign drugs. They're a cool band. Well, speaking of uh, the loved ones, um, if I have it correctly, that was your first time being a lead vocalist, full-time lead vocalist. Is that correct? That what, is what, correct. Yeah. What, what was that like? What, what kind of a different experience was that for you? Um, it was, it was scary, but also kind of gratifying because, um, I, I had roadied before or played guitar in bands and didn't ever think of myself as, um, you know, a, front person or a leader of a band or whatever so it was I had trepidation despite a lot of friends and and you know bands that I worked for and stuff encouraging me to do it and then when it worked at least on a small level I was 
I was like, whoa, this is great. And it encouraged more songwriting and encouraged this idea that maybe I didn't have to, um, you know, turn to a day job in the traditional sense. Like I thought, oh, maybe there is a future in this. So it was cool. Um, I, I, you know, a lot of it was is pretty fuzzy for me. Um, my mom had passed in 2004, right as we were getting the band going. And there was a lot of alcohol and substance abuse in the, in the loved one's years. And so it's hard to kind of like parse out what the feelings were because a lot of them were, uh, you know, amidst a pretty significant amount of pain and amount and a high amount of like addiction and stuff, but it was cool. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was cool to be able to sing for a band and, and, and have labels be interested and have people come out to the shows. We must've met with like 10 different rock and roll managers, which I thought was funny. You know, it's like, here we are with better than Ezra's manager and kid rocks manager. Like we, we had three dinners out of it for a while, um, which was interesting. It was kind of felt a little bit like the, the dream or, or the, you know, the myth that you get sold as a kid. But in the end, um, it did seem it like, I guess in retrospect, it just seems like a precursor to actually, um, you know, my musical journey it seems like the, the preamble a little bit the loved ones do now um so it's kind of hard to even remember honestly you know i was going to ask you because 2009 you were on the revival tour correct that was i think that was the first year when they did that the revival tour. you were on that you were at the beginnings of that correct chuck reagan's the rival tour i i did a week of it in 2009 that was the second year they did they did a full north american run uh, it was Tim Barry and Chuck and Ben from Lucero did a full run in 2008. And Chuck asked me to do it. And I, I, the loved ones were busy and I didn't feel like it was time for me to be a, like a person with a guitar kind of singer guy. I just couldn't really picture it. And I went to, I went to the Philly show and had so much fun watching it that I went to the New Jersey show the next night. Like I, I went, I said to Chuck, I blew it by not, taking these shows like he had offered me like maybe five or six of the shows or something and so the next year i i did a week of it yeah in in 09 or i think that's right but again i sort of still thought of myself as like you know the singer of a band or whatever i don't know it was a weird identity right. thing i couldn't quite wrap my head around what was happening and then it sort of became clearer once I cooked up the batch of songs for resolutions that like, okay, this is, I'm leaning in this direction creatively too. And then it sort of, you know, caught fire in 2011 when I put out that record. Well, see, that's what the question was going to be. You know, this, the survival tour, so many great, great names in it. I mean, some of my absolute favorites. Uh, of course, you mentioned Ben from my uh, hometown band, Lucero. But uh, the question was, was, had you already thought about going, it sounds like you did, you'd already been writing resolutions. Has you already thought about going out for a solo career and, or did this give you that confidence, that motivation to do it? Is this part of what led you to doing that? Being the guy away from yeah. the band? It, it expedited it for sure. I mean, I had that in the back of my head because I had watched um, people like Rhett Miller and the old 97s, like, you know, or Connor Oberst and Bright Eyes. Like there were, Jenny Lewis and um, 
Rilo Kylie. Like there were band people and they did solo stuff um, in tandem, I guess. And so I thought, oh, I'll probably do that because I don't always want to play fast and loud. And it expedited it, the, the revival tour sort of thing that was happening, but also the crash financially expedited it because it just was like a practical matter. It was like, you know, I had a contracting company that I was running while I had the loved ones going just so that I could, you know, live. You can't live off the loved ones when there's three or four or five of you and, and you're, you know, opening for bad religion or something like at that time, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. So I had that going, but then that caved in and, um, and the bands had, you know, we toured hard and partied hard. And so the other thing that expedited the solo thing was just like, well, I can go play with an acoustic guitar and make a living or make at least some, something that looks like a living. And it'll, you know, I, I can't find contracting work in 2008 or nine, you know, because the financial crash had happened. So, yeah, I mean, I think creatively, I'm thankful that the revival tour was cooking up right then because it gave me um, a place to kind of figure out how that could look. Um, and then by 2011, there was such a groundswell for that tour because in Europe, you know, it was like Brian Fallon was, was on it and Gaslight had gotten pretty popular. So that was just a really fortuitous, happy accident that I was on that. And, uh, and it kind of started what I'm still doing now, you know, to some degree. So is that something you'd be interested in doing again if the opportunity came up? I mean... Yeah. Yes. I, is the short answer is yes. The long answer is anytime I've tried to be a catalyst for it. Um, it's really, really hard. I mean, I get why Chuck can't quite bring himself to do it. Uh, and I'm speaking for him and I should, but ultimately my suspicion is like when you're dealing with four or five different people who now have kids and, and careers and jobs and, and, wives and just all this other stuff it's really hard to 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 say like hey should we all get together and make less money for 30 days in a bus together it's uh it's a tough proposition i mean i would be up for it because i do think that for me specifically like i probably i mean it really kick-started my career so i think in some respects it's it would be, it's like honoring the beginning of my solo career, but that wasn't the beginning of any of those guys' career. You know what I mean? Like they already had bands that were really popular and solo careers that were moving along. And so, I mean, it's a long answer, but I, but I also think it's important to not try to go backwards. And I think we did one revival tour show in San Diego as a charity thing. It was me, Dan, Andriano, and Chuck in 2019 and it was fun that we had a great time but it was it was a ton of work to learn all those songs and to make the show cohesive and and you know it occurred to me that like a lot of that was also lubricated by alcohol which you know i'm i'm sober now and i i just think like sometimes it's fun to look back and do something that honors the past but I don't like to look back for very long. So I guess I'm not sure if I'd want to do like a full tour of it or something. I don't know. It just doesn't even seem like it's an option. So I don't really think about it very often unless I'm asked the question. 
Well, everybody's gotten so much, like you said, they've gotten so much bigger now. Just, I mean, just about every artist that is on that, their careers have just grown and grown and grown. You mentioned Dan, Dan Adriano. I mean, he was big. Um, Frank Turner's gotten huge. Um, yeah. Some of these, some of these names are just Brian Fallon. His careers continue to go. But talking about your career progression, talked about resolutions, and then you hit us with Devour. And Devour, I'll tell you, it's one of my favorite of the last ten years. It's it's one of my favorite albums. Uh, that album is just special to me. Uh, I I think it's one of those ones that there's not a lot of them out there, but it's one of those albums that you call a perfect record. At least I do. And the contributions on that too was some really cool players on there. Dildago Jr., Social D drummer, um, Matt Skiba. And then one that I think probably a lot of people may not know about or know is on that, the late, great Scott Hutchison. Mm-hmm. And for people that aren't aware, I highly recommend you check out his band, Frightened Rabbit. Uh, just an amazing, amazing band. Um, love those guys. And uh, Dave and I did a podcast, I guess it was about a year ago. We talked about our favorite 10 records of the last 10 years. And both Painting of a Panic Attack and Devour were on mine. Wow. That's, that's, that's a long intro to my question, but how did Scott end up on Devour? And what was it like working with him? Um, well, Scott came out to see a show I did in Glasgow. No, 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 sorry, in Edinburgh with Franz Nikolai. Uh, Scott was in of uh, the Hold Steady, and Franz played keys with them, among other instruments. And I did a tour with him in early 2011. So this was before the revival tour. And it was really small shows, really fun, like pubs and stuff. And resolutions hadn't even come out. And um, so I met Scott at that show, and he like I guess he liked what I was doing and liked the show, and I had heard of Frightened Rabbit. I heard a couple songs that I liked, but after meeting him, I was like, maybe I should check out that band. And I suddenly had like my favorite band, you know, like I, I was like, whoa, this is spectacular songwriting. This guy's writing lyrics at a level that few people can and few people will, I think. So we kept in touch and he was in town. Frightened Rabbit was playing uh, in Los Angeles, when I was making Devour, they were doing their show for um, a pedestrian verse down the street from where I was recording Devour. And we were in touch anyway. And, and I said, hey, do you want to just come down and sing on this song, The Shine? And he walked over as if it was no big deal that he was playing to, you know, 1,500 people that night in Los Angeles. You know, typically a L.A. show, you're dealing with managers and and agents and movie stars and all this kind of stuff and he just cruised down the street and sang and was gracious and fun and just awesome and we got him on the shine the song the shine and i'm sure i'm glad that that happened um because it's a i still have all the audio of all of his vocal takes um you know and and that's kind of all I have now um, as, as Scott is gone, but uh, that's how it, that's how it shook out. We kept in touch and we had some more plans to do stuff together. And, and then we sort of know where that story goes, but um, yeah, great guy. One of the best lyricists I think I've ever encountered. Um, a spectacular person. And one yeah, I love his work and I, you know, I know I'm almost hesitant to even ask, but I, I will like, did you, I guess it's hard for me to even ask the question, but 
was there any sense that he was going through a tough time? Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, if you, uh, I, I mean, he's certainly laying that out there in the lyrics. Yeah, it, it's, it, it gets, especially knowing what happened. It, I mean, it's, it, it, it was pretty rough, you know, even before everything, but now, so I, I was just curious. I didn't want to go yeah. dark on this, but, uh, so just moving forward, you make a couple of great records, Bury Me in Philly, Kick, some EPs. And then about two months ago, you bring out what I, for me, it's one of the, I'd say contender for album of the year. And that's Blood Harmony. Hey. This was two of, one of two albums that I think just really had a profound effect on me this year. And the other being The Killers, uh, Pressure Machine. And I think there's some parallels in both that with the songwriting. And I think that David, yourself, I, we're all probably around the same age. I think we all are. And I think the themes align with where we are in our lives. And I think that's part of what makes this album so special. It's honest and it's an open book really in, into your life. It, was there a conscious effort for you to write about where you were, fatherhood, family, um, just more adult? You know, uh, was this just something organically happened? Was that intent? No, it wasn't. It wasn't necessarily intentional. I mean, I think one one distinction that's important is there's what you write, and then what you choose to put out, and how you choose to group those things, and what you choose to get behind. And by that, I just mean like we wrote about thirty songs this year, maybe more now, and there's songs that got left off the record that I think are really great. It's just when a theme starts to emerge, you know, like I'm still sort of in the discipline of making albums. Like that's just still how I like to present things. And, you know, despite the inter- industry having changed and all that stuff, it's, Thank just, God. it's to me, it's to me the most cohesive kind of um, way to group things. And so I, I just sensed a, a theme emerge. And then like, for instance, right before we went in and recorded that record, I only had little wings I didn't have North Star. And so suddenly I just felt like I had, I had this idea for North Star and asked him two days before we went to Nashville, if he wanted to work on it. And then we emerged with two songs. Now we have two songs about fatherhood and, um, you know, where I'm at in my, in my forties and so on. And so suddenly two spots on the record are taken up with that theme. So it does seem more, intentional but but that came from choosing to to put those songs on the record and not you know not a song that we'll release as a single in 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 the coming months which we're going to do we're going to use that material throughout the year but um no it wasn't intentional just things kind of happen you want to let the song write itself to some degree and and then make sort of decisions creatively about how you want to present them and 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 so on so the first single, Sandy Sheets, uh, you referenced Just Like Heaven, which The Cure is one of mine and uh, Chris's favorite bands of all time. And also awesome. you referenced uh, The Gin Blossoms, you know, with uh, Hey Jealousy. And <clears throat> when I listen to songs like that, it, it brings you back to kind of a simpler time in your life when, you know, things weren't as complicated. Um, you know, you, I grew up in a very small town in the Mississippi Delta, and like it just makes me remember riding around with my friends, listening to music or whatever, and 
Um, the Gin Blossoms actually uh, thanked you for that on Twitter and yeah. you responded with a no thank you. What was that like for them to acknowledge it in that way? I was, it was really cool. I mean, you know, I've been sort of operating in this other sphere of, of uh, peers, you know, the Bouncing Souls or, or the Alkaline Trio guys or Bad Religion or whatever. Like they're, they've all become really good friends over decades of, of working together. Um, and of course the gin blossoms are just people too. They're just, you know, a couple of guys with songs and they go out and play them just like the other people I listed. But to me, they just, they were from a time, they were so dominant on the radio and it was such a big deal what they were up to. So to, to have them, uh, you know, be gracious and thankful that I <laughs> name dropped them in a song or whatever, you know, I mean, the whole thing with that lyric was just like, that's what was on in the time that I was referencing, you know, it wasn't, it, I wasn't trying to necessarily ring their bell or get on their radar. I just, the, Hey, jealousy was on the radio when in the time period, like it was the cure. And the only one that's kind of out of um, sync would be the souls. I just threw them in there. Cause the song had so many New Jersey references, like true believers came a lot later than, you know, that was in 2000 or something, but uh, you can't make a Jersey song without referencing the bouncing souls in my opinion. So it was cool. It was really nice of them. And, and um, you know, it's nice to know that their, their ears are to the ground. I mean, they're certainly operating in a different um, sphere than I'm used to. So it was cool to, to get on their radar. Well, on this album, my, I, I'd have to say my favorite track is Gary. And um, this is the one that probably hits the hardest too emotionally. Uh, song telling the story of of a guy that has regrets about a kid that was bullied. And um, you know, I think everybody listening to this, they they all everybody can relate because everybody was either the bully, the bullied, or they just watched it happen and probably yeah. didn't do anything. And if, I don't think I was ever necessarily the bully, but I do have regrets about being shitty to people. I think we all do. Uh, one of my really good friends, he was uh, he was a bully uh, to a lot of people. And I know it's it's been hard on him. And the ones who were bullied probably don't have any sympathy for him, and I don't blame him, but he's reached out to him on Facebook. He searched for him and tried to make trying his best to make amends with him. You know, he's a father now, and again, we're at different periods in our lives. So I did read, I was, I was always curious if this was a true story. And I did read that, that this character, don't know if they're Gary, but it's a character in your, that comes from your life, your life story. And you said that you weren't going to send the song to him. Do you know if he's ever heard this song? Is there any way for you to know that? I mean, there are ways to know everything if you search for them. I mean, that's, we live in the era, we live in this book and all that, but I don't, that wasn't, that wasn't necessarily my intention with the song. In words, uh, I mean, good on your friend for trying to make amends. And this is not a judgment, but I, this Gary is looking to hear from me. You know, he's um, let's say he's done therapy and moved on and, and doesn't have a bad feeling anymore. Let's just say like, that's the best case scenario. And I come in with this song and he goes, well, this just ruined my Tuesday. I don't want to fucking hear whatever. I think that that's a totally valid response. And so I'm not going to search him out. That would be for, be for him, in my opinion. 
like I, I've heard from people over the years, like blast from the past kind of thing. And I'm not always looking for them, you know, and, and that's fine. And I guess, in other words, if he hears it and then reaches out to me, that's a different story. But like my intention with the song was to live in the discomfort of a situation that, that my friends and I or my classmates and I cultivated 30 years ago. And that discomfort's never going to go away. I mean, it's sort of eased by the song, but not really. I mean, it doesn't change anything. It just hopefully makes better in the future. Maybe someone hears that and goes, oh, maybe I should cool it on this kid at school. Or maybe I should guide my own children away from that kind of behavior or whatever. Like the Gary damage is done. And if he, you know, if he hears it and, and feels um, better or something, well, great. That would be but that would be out of his own graciousness towards me. That wouldn't be because of the song. That would be because he was deciding to be forgiving. Um, so that's kind of my view on it. I could be wrong, but. Um, no, I think that's probably a very accurate take. And your Rolling Stone, uh, they put this as one of the songs you needed to hear. And, and I agree. Just when you're talking about that, I think it's, it's, it's discussed a lot more these days, bullying. And the more we can talk about it, the better. And so I think it's awesome that you did write this song about this. I, even in my own personal life, I, my, my niece, this was a couple of years ago. She's in middle school. And she was telling me about a kid that always sat by herself, didn't have friends. And I don't know if she ever did, but I kept encouraging her. Just say hi to the kid. Smile at him. You know, a smile goes so damn far to a kid that's hurting, that's in pain, doesn't have friends. And if you can make a difference like that, I mean, kudos to you for writing a song like that. And I, I agree with Rolling Stone. It's a song everybody needs to hear. It's incredible. Thanks, man. I mean, you know, as far as the other, like making a men's part or, or um, all that's just personal, like whatever you feel, whatever your friend felt to, as, as the bully going back to the people, you know, maybe that was the way I'm not really sure. I, I uh, you know, the older I get, the less, you know, I guess the more I'm, I'm convinced that I don't know anything. I don't really know how, I don't know what's going on and I'm not sure how to navigate, but there are certain um, choices that, that often are the better choices. If you think about compassion uh, first in any situation and you think about kindness and you think about like doing less harm, typically it'll lead you to a better choice. And, and, and so I don't know. I guess that's kind of the. True, mostly or, or very often that's true, that there's some hurt in, in the bully that's prompting this. You know, it's a cycle that hopefully you can get out of and, and you know, with compassion and kindness, do a little better. I mean, I'm trying. I, I, I hope we all are, but it's not easy. All right, on to something a little more positive and uplifting. Um, on Blood Harmony, you had some, uh, you had a, you know, <clears throat> some real heavyweights playing with. You had people that have played with Sturgill Simpson, Cheryl Crow, but I'm sure for you, being a Philly Jersey guy, having Gary from the E Street Band was probably one of the cooler things that you've had happen to you in your career. I would agree. <laughs> it was it was phenomenal. He was super professional, really open about, you know, what, 
what you would perceive to be a kind of a closed circle. You know, I would imagine it would be easy to say like, Hey, we're going to be tight lipped about this. This is the biggest band in the world kind of thing, but he was not tight lipped. He was forthcoming and gracious with his time and his talents. And, um, you know, we, I mean, put it this way in Ma in Nashville, there are, you know, these studio guys have like techs that go ahead and set up their whole rig. So like Tom Bukovac played all the guitars and, you know, him and Sadler played all the guitars on, on the record. And then this guy, Billy, played most of the keys and they had techs come in and set their gear up. And then their techs go out and set up their gear at another session and they go there. So these are fancy hotshot guys. And um, as they should be, you know, they're highly in demand and so on. Gary showed up in just a regular SUV, you know, that anybody would have. There was no, it wasn't like blinged out or anything. And he had a bunch of charcoal in the back because he was going to be doing some grilling. It was getting into the summer. And he had four or five bases in gig bags that he carried in and carried out. And when he was leaving, he turned to my brother and said, all right, well, we'll see you in Philly or back here when you guys have another batch of songs. And he turned to me and he goes, if you're still in Santa Barbara, we're going to get sushi and then you'll we'll play the show. Meaning like, you know, this isn't the end. We're going to do more together, whether that's hang out and watch him play with Bruce Springsteen or play on more records. And, and I mean, that's great. It was crazy. And there he was with his simple gig bags, no tech, no, no, um, you know, just, just very humble. And did, uh, it, did, yeah, did it you, awesome. did you text Fallon and rub it in his face? No, 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 <laughs> no. no, I, I texted Fallon just, uh, that I was excited. And I mean, I think, I mean, Brian has like regular pizza with the box. So, I mean, he, it's not, a, <laughs> it's not a competition. I'm going to win, but. <laughs> so also but, on that, also on that album, not only get to play with get Gary from the East street, man, you got to write songs with your brother, Tim. What was that like? Well, that's always the great joy of my life is, is uh, writing with Tim. I mean, that's blossomed. We, we co-wrote some songs on very mean Philly. We co-wrote all of Kick together, co-wrote all of Blood Harmony, and then he just cut 10 songs for his debut in Nashville that we co-wrote. So um, it's been terrific to kind of bring that family vibe into what we do. It's now like a family business, you know, where we're like in the business of songs and, and performance and so on. And, and it's me and my brother, who's now you know, 28 and has his own tastes and and um his own songs and so on and so it's it's been awesome um there's nobody that i connect with song wise like tim in the moment it's fast like we the, the ideas come really fast because there's a certain shorthand that we have as as brothers and uh and that really comes in handy when you're trying to come up with with song ideas so i look i look forward to hearing some of those songs so. It's good. It's really good. I mean, I don't, I have like snippets that I was being sent, um, but I don't even have the board mixes yet. So I'm, I'm chomping at the bit to hear what they did. Awesome. Well, hey, so one thing that we've talked about a lot, David and I have um, one thing in particular, I talk a lot about is it's what I call punker turned folky. And we cut, touched on some of those guys with the revival tour, but 
you know, guys like Chuck Reagan, Brian Fallon, Tim Barry, Greg Graffin. I mean, all these guys, this goes on and on and on. They, they, they turn down the, they turn down the amps, they pick up the acoustic and they make these, these albums that are, that are drawn from folk country Americana. What is it do you think that's got, that's really something that's been happening in the last 10 to 15 years that maybe I just missed the boat and it happened earlier, but it seems to be a trend that's happened. What do you think draws the guys of this network of yours into this style of music? Songs. That's the short answer. And I guess what I mean by that, I can really only speak for myself, but I've shared these kinds of conversations with everybody you just mentioned. And ultimately you know, everybody that you named is interested in songs and making good songs. Because at the end of the day, if you're in a punk band, um, the biggest punk bands pretty much have the best songs. I mean, maybe that's not entirely true, but Bad Religion and Alkaline Trio are great, song, filled with great songwriters. Song like last the, month. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, the Bouncing Souls are more popular than a lot of their peers because they have great songs. That's what ends up simmering to the top. However, I do think when you're playing really great songs at the velocity and the volume that a lot of that music comes at you, sometimes the songs get buried and it becomes more about the energy around the music or the culture around the music or how you dress or what other bands you're playing with or what drugs you're doing or whatever it is, it becomes more about that culture than it does about songs. And I think, I mean, I found after making that first loved ones record and doing press on it, that people were asking me stuff that had nothing to do with the songs or the lyrics that I spent the most time on. I wrote that song about, heard that record about my mom dying. And people are asking me what it's like to be on the label we were on or tour with whatever band we were opening for. It was like, well, I don't want to talk about this. This is genre specific. It's not about music. It's about cult, you know, about some niche culture thing that I'm not that interested in. So I think for me, I just wanted to get it as, I wanted to get the song as far forward as possible. And uh, I think, you know, like Americana, whatever that is, whatever that genre is, that's kind of the idea is that it's more about, songs it's more about you know i mean somebody joked and was like americana is just country music for democrats or something <laughs> which maybe that's true i don't really know a lot of that genre stuff is, is kind of like less interesting to me but ultimately i think the shift of turning down the game and turning down the speed uh is to let the song hit people more than the um the sort of predetermined parameters of what the genre leans on, which is like, you know, loud and fast. Well, that makes sense. And, you know, guys like Chuck, he, he makes these albums that are, if we want to go call it folk Americana, and he still does hot water music. Then Greg, I mean, his album, that was, if you didn't know that he was Greg from Bad Religion and you didn't pay attention to the lyrics, you might think that's a gospel record, that last one that he did. Um, yeah. And, which was an incredible record, but he still goes yep. and does his bad religion records. This seems to be this that you've as continued to pro uh, progress, I would say, evolve in your career. And this seems to be more the the permanent fixture for you. Like, is this where you feel like 
you're going to stay. This is your wheelhouse. And I mean, I know there's going to be some variations, but I guess sort of the loud guitars and the, the punk and all that, is that, is that behind more or less? I mean, no, it's, I just want to paint with whatever brush I grab. And the genre thing is just not as important to me. I mean, right now, the songs that I wrote were best served coming to Nashville and having those people play them. And then we'll deliver them in, the, in a way that's compelling to our audience that shows up when we play live. I, you know, I'm just going to go where the muse takes me. And I think that the good thing thing so okay so thing is i never had a band that like made me a ton of money that i could like lean on i could go back to my loved ones and go like we're gonna do a tour and make a bunch of dope a lot of those guys have those kinds of situations so that's the bad part of it the good part of it is i'm just making whatever music i want to make and hopefully making what i think sounds cool and then maybe the audience will meet me there and that's that's you know, just in an effort to keep the temple clean. You know, I just, I don't need to worry about um, the genre thing as much. I can make the next record be influenced by Brazilian rhythms if I want, you know, like that's, there's a certain, for whatever reason, you know, whether it's Paul Simon or, or Bruce Springsteen or Tom Waits or whatever, like these people in the songwriting world have blazed those trails and, and so the audience out there is ready, like for a solo person to kind of do whatever they want. And hopefully they're in there for the song and for whatever that person's point of view is. Um, oftentimes a band is more of like a brand, you know, it's more like, okay, well, we know what we're going to get when we go see Bill in the blank band. So it, it leaves this perception that the band can do less. They can stretch out less because like people want the thing. And that's not that interesting to me. Like that, that, that thing gets boring after decades of years to me as a creator. Like I, I would love to go see all those bands. Like it's, it's rad, but I'm just more interested in whatever is coming next as far as songs and ideas and creativity. That's well, I, uh, that's one of the things I've always liked about the talking heads. There may yeah. be African music on one album and the next album's new wave. And then it's pop and then back to, you know, the world beats and stuff. So I, I, I appreciate that. Well, it's funny. I'm glad you do, because honestly, like as as the world has kept spinning from when I was a kid, you know, it does seem now that people want it really specific to genre. They're like, I'm into this. And I think that Spotify and the algorithmic sort of playlists and stuff feed that. And, you know. I love Randy Newman and, and I love Paul Simon and those guys were taking all, they were doing the melting pot thing. They were taking all kinds of influences and making their own thing from that. And so it kind of freaks me out that that's where a lot of musical tastes have turned. I don't know, but, but again, I can't, a lot of this stuff, like I can't actually worry about. I just have to try to make the best song that I can make and then make it the the most compelling way I can make it and then deliver it to the audience in a way that's as compelling. Well, that, that, that keep moving, you know, that's what, that's one of the most frustrating things for me is like, Chris and I love music. We love all, like I tell people you can get my car, Megadeth may be on and the cures on next, but I, I cannot stand it when people go, all right, when I was 16 through 20, this band put out three albums that sounded like this. They can't change. 
They have to stay that. Right. Well, at that point, you stop being an artist. You're just like a lounge act. You know, you're, you're people are showing up to hear the hits and you're not, you know, like Pearl, Pearl Jam just put out a great album. You know, they're 30 years into it. And so, um, yeah, I, I love it when people aren't scared to change, but I love it when their audience isn't scared to allow them to change. Yeah, I mean, I'm really thankful and hopeful that that's what we're building and what we've built. You know, I'm 10 years into this, um, five albums. And, you know, I think it, 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 it's not just the albums and the songs that are delivered that way show up and it'll just be two two of us and we'll be tim and i'll be playing songs from a, a rock album that we made you know i.e kick or something um i just like to push myself and push the audience just as just far enough you know just far enough to keep things interesting and compelling and but i do also understand that people i mean that's the balancing act right like there's also just working people who are tired after 40 hours of of work and want to go see lover boy <laughs> well yeah but i mean even for one of these bands like they go see pearl jam and they're like wait you're not gonna play you're not gonna even play one song from 10 you know like and pearl jam doesn't do that but my point is like you have to just ride that balance like we are entertainers too um so there's the creative side of it and there's that whole thing that compels me that's my main interest but then if you know if you're going out to play shows and you intentionally leave off all the old material because that's that you're not interested in it anymore it's like okay but the the circumstance or the the um the outcome of that might be that there's less people at the next show and you got to just be okay with it that's what you're going to do yeah I'm, I'm, like, keep- and I, I'm like david too i love the evolving you know whether, whether it's i mentioned the killers record i was talking to my cousin last week he doesn't like it it's not in. that's not what he's into he's into yeah. he wants to hear hot fuss again you know you're not going to get that uh i love life of agony and if you listen to river runs red and listen to the last record they put out totally totally different and i love them pretty much equally i mean i, I love the last record so i'd actually I love the way that you're evolving. I imagine too, it probably makes it a little bit easier because the band didn't get so enormous like a band like the Killers. It does allow you that freedom. I mean, you can do it anyway, but I guess less flat for it. Yeah. I mean, the the band wasn't, it was just a blip. There's only two albums. I mean, I guess we could have kept going, but in retrospect, I'm glad we didn't because it, it left me tons of, lane to do whatever it is i want like there's a lot of people that have never heard or seen the band and when they do they're like oh you that was your thing before you do what you do now and and that's to me that's a better situation than being like all right i have to go back to this thing because it pays my bills but but i can't but i'm i'm um i'm imprisoned by it to some degree like i'm not that it's not but yeah it's just not the circumstance i'm in so i guess for me i'm like great. I don't have that. That's one less problem I got to think about. Right. Most Butch Walker fans don't know he was in a hair band. So yeah, right. <laughs> that makes it easy for him. Well, as we wrap this up, you know, I talking about uh, just as one, one of the final questions about your, you, you mentioned earlier, and I wouldn't bring this up. It's what something that you were so upfront, honest about, and that is your sobriety. You know, we, we hear a lot of times we've heard it our whole lives that the drug can, it can enhance 
music. It can make it better. It can make the songwriting better. Obvious reference is going to be the Beatles. You, then you look at people that I think their songwriting has just gotten better and better in sobriety. Mike Ness, BJ Barham of American Aquarium. I mean, just great, great, great songwriters. And I feel the same for you. And I was going to ask you, how do you feel sobriety has impacted your, your songwriting? Um, well, in the same way that it's kind of impacted the rest of my life, you're, I mean, put it this way. I'm not, I'm not necessarily advocating for everyone to get sober. Like, I think you got to do whatever is best for your own mental health. And if you're in your own way with, with, um, alcohol or drug abuse or whatever, or whatever behavior that could be like really hampering your, your ability to be happy and, and live a full and balanced life, then yeah, that's, that might be time to change that. But um, like for me, it just, I mean, you just don't get that many lottery tickets in, in life. That a lot of times life is a slog for a lot of people. It's very difficult as the older you get, it's, it's more and more difficult. So having been through, you know, a band that had some promise and then caved in, having been divorced, having companies that I owned cave in due to financial crashes and things, you know, to get another shot with a solo career in music and to get another shot in terms of my marriage now and my children, like that's another ticket coming my way. That's another, oh my God, like this is a, this is a chance at happiness. And I just felt like the more drinking and drugging I was doing, the more I was like, potentially going to burn that ticket and I was going to repeat my you know walk back in my own footsteps and be like oh look another disaster that, that I could have avoided if I would have taken this giant distraction or this giant issue out of my out of my way I mean the thing I will say is if you're thinking about doing it anybody out there is thinking about doing it definitely get therapy while you're doing it. I wish I would have gone right into therapy when I was, when I was getting sober or stopping drinking, whatever you want to call it. Um, Cause that really, you can do a lot of good work in that space instead of like doing it years later after the, after the fact. All right, Dave. So, so go ahead, Chris. No, go ahead. Uh, so go ahead. this, this is our last question for you. Obviously, uh, you know, you, you're experiencing great success now, you know, like we, we talked about, I don't, I don't think we actually mentioned it. You had a song on the show billions, which is a huge HBO show. Uh, you got to write a piece for USA today, uh, you know, Rolling Stones talking about Gary uh, being a song that needs to be listened. Now, <clears throat> if you look behind me as a diehard Braves fan here, I, I've got to rub it in a little bit that your Phillies uh, <clears throat> didn't quite have the, uh, have the year that you guys wanted, but you did get to sing the national anthem for him. So um, I'm sure that was cool. So with all this going on and, and your career traject trajectory going up, what's next for you? Um, I don't know. I, I think, I think I want to stay open to whatever could be, I, you know, I'm ready to kind of continually embrace change. Um, we have a label now where we're, you know, we're funding our own recordings and then facilitating their release and so on, which is really exciting. Which I think what that'll mean is more songs will come out, more albums will come out. Um, <clears throat> it just gives us a place where our creativity can be, um, uh, you know, just used more, I guess. And 
I don't know. I, I sort of getting back to a lot of the topics we talked about in the last 45 minutes or whatever, like I want to keep moving. Um, I'll, I'm fine to look back at different periods, whether that's, you know, the old things I did or whatever and, and, and take a look, but I want to keep moving creatively. I want to be open to new influences. I, I, I love with my brother, he's not encumbered by any of the like punk rock guilt or, or rules that got set, you know, that really stick with me or, or sometimes I have to get out of the way of like, you know, from the, my teenage years, my early twenties, he's not like that. He's just always like, what's, what's best for the song. Um, and that's kind of my philosophy as a, a guy who's 40 plus, you know, thankfully I have a, a little career where people come and want to hear what I'm singing. And, uh, so I think like honoring that by being fierce in the creativity is, is seems like the best way forward. Um, so I don't know. I mean, we're, we're writing songs already and uh, working on, on potentially re-recording some old stuff and casting that in new light. I mean, we're um, there's tons of plans ahead. It's just, it's hard. I think all, the other thing is like, we just had a pandemic where all of our plans were dashed or changed. And so I'm sort of open to that being always uh, true where, where you're, you can make your best plans, but you got to be ready to pivot because Lord knows what's, what's coming. Well, we want to tell everybody, first of all, they can follow you on Twitter at Halls Dave. And as we tell people on here, we're big believers in buying music, buying merchandise, going to shows. We uh, use the hashtag buy music and uh, uh, Spotify is okay to listen to, but make sure you go buy the album too and support people like Dave and other musicians because uh, they need, uh, they got to pay the bills just like we do. And uh, we want to keep those people around because they definitely uh, influence us and, and, and help get us through hard times. So um, when Dave does get back out on the road, go see him, support him by merch. Uh, it was a really, really honor, really good honor to get to talk to you, Dave. And uh, it was really cool for you to come on. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the, uh, the passion you have for the music and the acceptance of, of doing it in our own way. And, and also just, you know, I mean, like enthusiasm is always the thing, you know, if you can find people who are enthusiastic about the stuff you're creating, it makes the conversation really pleasurable and it makes you feel good about the, all the hard work you put into it. Cause you know, like right now I know at least two people have heard the album and really appreciated it. And that means more than, you know, on a, on a sort of dreary Thursday, it's like, all right, we got through to these two guys. That means we can get <laughs> through to two more people, you know, and <laughs> it's just person by person trying to make that connection. So thanks so much for, for having me on. I really thank you. And, and I, I'm not just BS and I absolutely love blood harmony. I mean, uh, I, I love all your records. I have the rep, the loved ones, all of that. I love them all, but this one, man, it, it's, it's great. It's really great. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk to a couple of music dorks. Thanks, man. I mean, I'm just a music dork too. And, and I love blood harmony too. I think it turned out great. I'm really proud of it. So the fact that somebody who didn't, um, you know, sit, with it the way I did appreciates it that much. It really is. It's really awesome. So thank you so much, Chris and David. It's, it's been a pleasure. I'll see you guys, I guess. What, when, when will we see you? What? Putting this up? 
No, I mean, just like out at a show. Well, I see, that's a good question. I got to find out. I've looked at your tour schedule and I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. He's in Jackson, Mississippi. And I want to come to one. Um, I don't think you're doing that. I know you're not going to come to Memphis. Memphis music scene sucks pretty much. But Nashville, I don't remember seeing a Nashville show. Maybe we're, Dallas. We're about to actually, we're working on that. We're working on getting close to both of you. So okay, uh, I'll answer my question with, uh, with, I'll look at my tour schedule and let you guys know when we're coming through. I we'll have looked at more it. stuff soon. Yeah, I have looked at it because I do want to catch one. And uh, I, Dallas, I got my cousin there and he's a big music fan. I, I would absolutely go there, go to Nashville, St. Louis, New Orleans. I'm gonna catch. I'm gonna catch the next tour. I promise. I'm gonna be there. Yeah, we're come up to the Northeast, man. Those will be really exciting. Sort of the first big band shows that we're doing <coughs> are in April. Um, those are in the Northeast, and then we'll be probably coming back as a duo through the South or something. I'm not exactly sure, but but plans are brewing. So so we'll we'll see each other soon. We travel for shows, so that's that's nothing. I, I'll tell the fiance, hey, we gotta head to, we gotta head to Philly and see a home show. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much uh, again today for listening. Chris and I will be back with you next week for our year-end episode. And believe it or not, I think about half of our picks are going to be the same. And so that's never happened before. So uh, take care, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Just like heaven on repeat we-